Welcome to Joy Christian Center. We're so glad you joined us today. If you're ever in the St. Cloud area, please join us for one of our 9 or 1045 a.m. services. Our services last about an hour. We pray that today's message will inspire and challenge you. of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's good. That's good. That's like, like, that's as close to 100% as we've probably ever gotten on one of these kinds of questions. That's awesome. That is awesome. But you're early service people. You're first service people, right? You're top shelf. Amen. Because you're a child of God. And, and my hope this morning is you sang that song, and it's probably new to a lot of you, or maybe you've kind of heard it a couple of times. But my, my hope this morning is that you'll understand just exactly how true that is. Our desire as a church is that we would help you to know God. That you'd know really who he is, not about him, but that you would know him. And, and that in knowing God, that would bring freedom into your life. You're not a slave to the past. You're not a slave to guilt. You're not a slave to fear. You're not a slave to lack. You're not a slave to poverty. You're not a slave to sickness or disease. You're not a slave to that stuff because whom the sun sets free is free indeed. In Galatians chapter 5, it says, sorry, I'm going to start preaching if I'm not careful here. In Galatians chapter 5, it, it, it talks about, Paul was talking about this, bunch of people who had heard the word of God and they got set free. And he said to them, don't be tangled up again in the yoke of bondage. Don't get tangled up again. You've been set free. So you're not a slave. And, and it's the word of God. It's knowing the truth. That's what sets you free. And that's really a lot of what our series that we're calling Living Large is about this, this in, in the month of January. It really is about freedom in Christ. It's about the freedom that God gives to us. And, and this idea of living large, if, if you weren't here last Sunday, um, Living large was a phrase that used to be kind of thrown around a few years ago, and, and to some people it means different things. Living large for some means, you know, kind of extravagance. It, you know, we used to use the word, or people used to use the word bling, you know. It, it was extravagant. It was gold, and it was jets, and it was planes, and it was big and bad, and all of those things. Living large was that way. It was also kind of an idea of the wannabes who want to be living large, and they're living a, a lifestyle that perhaps is beyond their means, but they're using credit. They're getting in debt. They're they're, they're trying to be something that they're not. And this idea of living large is, is an idea that uh, I think really is in the word of God. And so I want to do something this morning. Let me, just, let me just pick a couple of people. Dave, come here, Dave Schleif. And uh, 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 Tim Maul. I'm going to pick on Tim. Come here. All right, now you guys, were you here last Sunday? Oh, that's right, you weren't. Come on up here, right? It's okay. This is holy ground for a lot of people, I know. Actually, I'm going to need that microphone again. Now, Tim, you were here last Sunday, right? This is holy. holy. Yeah. He said, is this Oli's ground? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> All right, so what we've got this morning is, if you'll turn around and look at the screen, we've got a phrase. Do either of you know what that phrase is? You're going to go with living large, L-I-V-I-N-G. L-A-R-G-E. Yeah, well, it's not that, but that's a good guess. Tim, you got a guess? No. no. All right. Well, let's give these guys one. Does anybody else have a guess? Oh, you all have a guess. Never mind. All right. Got a couple of ends for you. Gordy wanted to buy a vowel. Sorry. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm pretty, he, Dave asked me if he could phone a friend, but I'm pretty sure that they're as in the dark as you all. Let's give them one more letter. They'll get it right this one. Heaven something, Gordy says. Uh, by the way, what? Signs? Oh, common sense. Very good. You're not a part of this game, but way to shout it out. Oh, you're trying to help your dad out. Well, that's what kids' job is, exactly. All right, we got another phrase for you. Very good, very good, guys. Wait a All right, we got another one. Yeah, wait, wait, did I get it? I should have probably picked. Well, all right, all right, here we go. All right, college life. We got a, got a clue here? <laughs> I won't even say that publicly. All right, give us a letter. Got a T. All right, give us another letter. I can just feel everybody thinking this morning. It's awesome. It hurts, yeah. It's kind of cold to engage the gray matter. All right, give us another letter, please. Oh! I tell you what, it's a different daughter. You, you, you got the... You called the wrong people. Somebody give you guys the notes over there? All right, let's go to the next one. It's education. Very good. How many else? Anybody else have education? All right, all right, all right. Yeah. Let's not say that one either. Theodore Roosevelt, Winston Churchill. Neither one of those are right. Give us a letter, please. Now we're going to need another one. <laughs> Now we need another one. <laughs> what? Benjamin Franklin. Is that right? Oh, very good. We definitely have the wrong people up here this morning, though. All right, we got one more for you this morning. This is a movie quote. <clears throat> give, go ahead and give us a letter right now. <laughs> Okay, all right. Yeah, let's give us another one. Give us another one. <laughs> all right, give us another one. Is, <laughs> is, uh, watermelon, watermelon, or. Getting close, I can tell. Oh, the kids got it. The kids got it. What is it? Do or do not. There is no try. <laughs> Give these guys a big hand. You guys did good. Do or do not. There is no. There is no try. Now I give you this back. Yoda who? Oh boy, oh boy. The '90s just called Gordy. They'd like your brain back. All right, so. <laughs> Yoda who? Yeah, Yoda's that little green guy. He was a pretty smart dude, wasn't he? It's the kind of the thing. And education, you hear about some of those things. What, what we want to talk about this morning, and the reason that we're using kind of that silly game, is because that fill-in-the-blank idea is really what I'm wanting to kind of present to all of you this morning in this subject of living large. I think that when we think about the idea of or the subject of living large, talking about it, what does that really mean? Uh, if we were all honest and we're in church and it's first, you are cream of the crop people, amen? You're children of God. You're no longer slaves. All of those things, that's who you are. And if you're really, really, really honest, how many of you would like to maybe have a little bit more? Increase. I don't know what more might be for you or for me, but, but there's something in all of us that, that, that's a desire, and yet sometimes we almost feel guilty that we want more, or you know, sometimes religion and those kinds of things uh, uh, maybe say, you know, make us feel bad if we have too much or all those kinds of things. But I want you to understand something, that God is the author of more, that God is the one who said, you know what, it's all right to think a, a little bit bigger or a little bit differently. Listen to the scripture in, in, in John, uh, uh, 3 John chapter 2 or verse 2, it says this, I pray. When John says, I pray, he's not talking about necessarily bowing a knee and actually praying a prayer. 
It's a great desire that he has. He's, man, I just want this so much for you. And if I could borrow that this morning, I want this so much for this congregation. I want these things that we're talking about in this series, Living Large, so much for each and every one of you. Because it is something that Jesus died for. It is something that he gave us his life for. And so again, he says, I pray that you would prosper and be in health. I want you to prosper. That word prosper means to increase. It means to, it means to actually, it really, really means we, we limit it many times to just a financial kind of a thing. But really it means to travel well or to live well, to journey well. He says, my prayer, my desire, I want you to live well. I want you to journey well. I want you to have God speed. How many of you would like to have God speed in 2017? How many of you like to journey well? And, and, and I started this a couple of, about a month ago. I made this comment to you uh, around Thanksgiving time. We're thankful for what God did last year, but what do you want to be thankful for? What is it that you would like to be thankful for this time next year? And then begin to take steps, begin to put into practice things in your life that will bring that about. Well, this series kind of is a, is a springboard for that. And so he said, beloved, I pray, I, pro- I, I, I desire that you would prosper and be in health. Prosperity, an increase, it, it, it touches every part of our being. It really means to deal well or live well, to, to be wise in the affairs of life, to, to live life successfully, those kinds of, of thoughts. And you might think this morning, well, that would be nice if it were true. Or I wish that would happen for me. Some people have kind of the idea, well, if I'm going to increase, I'm going to have to win the lottery. I'm going to have to have more money. I, I, I'm going to have, you know, and some people are just lucky and people are, you know, I was born on the wrong side of the tracks. So I was raised in a single family or I didn't have the advantage that somebody else had. Listen to the very last part of this verse. Beloved, I pray that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. In this series, we're, we're talking about the soul. And this, this should be great news for every single one of us because when he uses the word soul, he lifts it out of luck. He lifts it out of good fortune. He lifts it out of all of the things and excuses or the things that maybe you've been told that because you don't have this or didn't get that, then you're not going to be able to increase or you're not going to be successful or the economy and all of these other things. But he said your ability to increase will be based upon the health of your soul. That you would prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. This tells us there's something that we can do on purpose. There is something that we can actively engage in that will affect our soul. And our soul will then bring about and help us to bring about the increase that God has for us. And that's what we're going to be talking about. And that's part of the the fill-in-the-blank equation. Because I think that many Christians think that, well, you know, if I just push every button and pull every, uh, every lever in the right way, in the right sequence, then everything is going to work out. And there's an element of truth, but that's not the truth. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter uh, 7 and verse 13, Scripture says this, He will love you and bless you. How many of you know that God loves you, first of all? Amen. Amen. That was less of you that were happy than we're happy to be in God's house today. But still, God loves you. That's a message that we've heard. And to varying degrees, we agree with that or we, we believe that to a certain extent. I think that, that sometimes we have limitations or limiters because we know who we are. We look in the mirror. But you need to be convinced of how much God loves you. You need to be thoroughly grounded in how much God loves you. And because he loves you, notice what he says in this next part. He will love you and bless you. Well, we're not as comfortable with that, are we, sometimes? It's like, wait a minute, God wants to bless me? Not only will he bless you and increase your numbers, because he loves you. Now, he's talking to Israel, Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel. He's called the father of faith. He's technically, in a a theological sense, he's the father of all that, that are you know, we could claim him as our father, so we, we're, we're included in this same thought, in this same promise. He said he will love you and bless you and will increase your numbers. Part of that is talking about your children. Say, well, I got enough kids. I don't want any more kids. <laughs> that's not all that that's, that's, this is talking about. Really, when it comes to increase, when it comes to God doing more, when it comes to living large, I think that sometimes we think we reach a certain age or we reach a certain part of our life and that we think maybe God's done with us or, or maybe I've gone far enough or maybe this is as far as I can go. But notice again and listen to what he is saying. He will love you and bless you and increase your numbers. 
well, well, what is he going to bless and what is he going to increase? He will bless the fruit of your womb. That's your kids. He will bless and increase the crop of your land, your grain, the new wine and olive, uh, the olive oil, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks and the land that he swore to your ancestors to give you. Now, he's speaking to, to farmers here in agrarian society, and, and, and obviously we, you may not have cattle, you may not have herds, you may not have uh, crops in the field, but what he is saying is that I want to increase whatever it is that is a part of the industry of your life. I want to bless that. I, I want to increase that. And this is for every one of his children. How many of you are still a child of God? This is for every single one of you this morning. And, and when we put those two verses, 3 John 2 and, and this scripture, and there's a gazillion, sorry, that's overemphasis, there's not a gazillion, but there's a lot of scriptures that basically say the same thing, that God wants to increase you, that God wants to enlarge, that God wants to make you and your life bigger. And, and as we work through this series, I hope that you see a couple of things. That's number one. But the other part of that, and what causes people to stumble sometimes, and I want to make sure that I throw this in at this point, is that God doesn't want you to increase and have more just so that you can have more. God doesn't want you to have more and increase just so that you can say, whoo man, I got a lot of stuff. God wants you to have more so that you can do more. God wants you to have more so that you can be a greater influence. And when he, in some of the scriptures that we looked at last week, talking about you and your children, it really is talking about those that are close to you, those in your realm of influence, those who are, in a sense, living within the scope of where you could be a blessing. In other words, God wants to channel things to you, but not just for you to be a dead end. He wants to channel them through you. So how many of you want God to bless you and increase you? All right, it's quite a few of you. Now, I'm going to ask a question. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand in this, but you might be thinking this morning. In fact, I would venture to guess this thought has crossed your mind. I want God to bless me, and I want God to increase me. In fact, I'm all for that. Amen? God, you know, I mean, I have got nothing planned for the rest of the day. You want to bless me, you just go right ahead. God, I want you to. What's the problem? I want you to bless me, and I want to be increased, but, man, I don't see it. It's not happening. What's the problem? Now, I know that probably, probably none of you think that, but you might be asking, you might talk to somebody who asks you the question, so if God wants me to increase, what's the problem? Number one, I think the first problem is simply this. Our believing is wrong. We have a faith problem. Our believing is wrong. Many of us have been raised in an environment and, and perhaps in a religious system that says that you can't really expect God to do too much or, or if you, until you live a good Christian life or a perfect Christian life, then God's not going to really be able to do too much stuff in your life. But if God wants me to increase, what's the problem? Number one, our believing is wrong. When I read the scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 7, we don't have as big of a struggle with God loving us, but when we think that God wants to bless us and God wants to increase, and, and part of our, the reason our believing is wrong is because there's been some error in teaching along this line. But you don't throw the baby out with the dirty water. You don't discount everything just because of an error. Otherwise, we'd have thrown everything out a long time ago. Our believing is wrong. We have a faith problem. The good news this morning is that that is easily, takes some work, but it's correctable. Wrong believing is correctable. It takes some work to eradicate it, to move, remove it, but it is correctable in your life. The second thing that I think is a problem is, is, is really this. We don't know how to increase. We don't know exactly what that means. We're, we're not sure how to begin to position ourselves, and that's a wisdom problem. And so we have a believing problem, and we have a wisdom problem. And so I, I, I want to help you fill in the blanks, if you will. I believe that, that you know, life in the kingdom of God and, and a relationship with God is a little bit like a chess match or a checkers match in that God makes the first move. He sent Jesus, and he, he gave us his word. He makes the first move, but then he wants us to respond to him in faith. He wants us to respond to him. And when we take that step and make that move, then he makes another move. And And... Christian life works that way. God moves, we move. We respond to what God does. And so I want to help you fill in the blanks. And there's seven laws that we're going to talk about. Say that with me, seven laws. These seven laws are a little bit like, I guess for me, an illustration would be an orange. 
You might think of seven laws as individual, independent things. And like an orange, there's independent, individual segments, but they make up one orange or one piece of fruit. They, they're interconnected. And it's the same thing or the same way with these laws. I, I prefer to call them the law of life or the laws of life. But, but each one is independently important, but they're interdependent upon the others. And, and this is a challenge in this series to, to, to present all seven of them in, in the roughly five or six services that we have to, to present these things. And so I want to encourage you. I know that, that you know every week being in church is a difficult thing. Uh, greatjoy.org, we have you know, uh, all of the messages, they're online. You can, you can keep up with us, and, and please do that because every part is dependent upon the other part. Every, every, every law is dependent upon the other law. And so let me just give you these seven laws. We're going to talk about the, and there's not necessarily in a numerical order. One's not more important than the other. We have more information about some of the laws. And so the first law that we're going to talk about and the first law that you need to be aware of is, is, is the, law of, uh, the law of wisdom. And then there's the law of faith. After the law of faith, there's the law of time, the law of discipline. We love that one. Woohoo! Anyone trying to be disciplined since the new year started? Hate it, don't you? <laughs> the law of words. Book of Proverbs, the Bible, all full. It's so full of, of how important our words are. Words kill, words bring life, words heal, they destroy. So there's the law of words, there's the law of sowing and reaping. The, the law of sowing and reaping, probably there's the most information in the word of God uh, about this particular law, and that's because it is just, it's, it's there. And so the law of sowing and reaping, and then there's the, the, the law of use. Or, or maybe we could say this way, the, the idea of use it or lose it. That's a principle. That is a law that works. And, and, and we use this scripture, I meant to mention it earlier, in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 22. Uh, uh, if you're reading along with us in the Bible, you've, you, you're doing the Bible reading plan. You read this this week, but Genesis 8.22 says, while the earth remains. And this is right after the flood. And so God is giving a promise. He's telling us something. He said, as long as planet earth is here, these laws, or what I'm about to tell you, these things are going to work on the earth as long as the earth is here. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night will not cease. He said, as long as the earth is here, these things are going to be here. We understand that these are our laws, or there are laws that govern life on planet earth. We use the illustration of the law of gravity because it's one of the more easily understood laws that are there. And, and what's interesting to me, I mentioned this last week, and it's kind of an aha moment for me. It's not real deep, but we are so accustomed to these laws, the law of seed time and harvest, the law of, of gravity. These laws, We're so accustomed to them working that we don't ever even question it. We're so accustomed to, to their impact or to their, it's just a normal way of life. We, we're, we have never been afraid that if we jump up in the air that our head's going to hit the ceiling or that we'll never come back down. And so we understand that these laws, and that they work, and they work 100% of the time. And not only do these laws work 100% of the time, they will work for whoever works them. It's another part of the reading in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus was teaching and talking, and he made a comment, and he said, he said, your heavenly father loves, loves you. He said, be like your heavenly father. And he said, he said, follow the heavenly father's example. The heavenly father... He sends, he sends rain on everybody. He doesn't just send rain on his favorites. He sends rain to evil people. He sends the sunshine to evil people and good people. And he said, I want you to kind of act the same way. I want you to act like your father. I want you to love those who are unlovely. I want you to, uh, and we sort of understand that. But, but Jesus was referring back to laws that were in place. And it's the goodness of God and it's the love of God that he has towards planet earth and the people that inhabit this, that he, he wants good things to happen. And so God has, has left some blanks for us, a little bit not filled in. They're not filled in because he wants us, and you'll understand as we get to the end of this particular message, you'll understand perhaps why he maybe has done that. But during this game, other than some of the overachievers here on this side, during this game, <laughs> when, 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 the, when the blanks were there, and you're looking at just empty blanks, how many of you know that's a little bit intimidating because it could be anything? 
But then, yeah, actually with blanks filled in, it was still intimidating for Tim. Sorry about that. But uh, actually the, the biggest, the, the two most prominent blanks were on their faces. But anyway, uh, but you couldn't see them. And so anyway, um, sorry, I just messed with you guys. Um, but it was pretty funny. And, and so the, the blanks that were there, the more that they were filled in, didn't it begin to create a picture, and, and, it, and it helped you to understand, it helped you to see, and I was, I was like, and then when somebody says, like, oh, yeah, that makes, yeah, okay, that fits, you know, and, and, and it's the same thing with God and his word. The more blanks, if you will, that are filled in, it creates an energy and a momentum and a life, and, and there's a joy that's there, and if you're missing that momentum or that energy or that joy, then perhaps you've got a lot of blanks that haven't been filled in yet, so part of my job is to help fill in those blanks and to give you ways to help that process in your life. And so these natural laws that are there give us a glimpse, an idea that God has not only given us natural laws, but he's given us spiritual laws. And just like natural laws can be overridden or they can be superseded by higher laws, like, like the law of gravity, uh, three ways that you can get rid of the law of gravity. One is the, the law of thrust, your muscles and legs. You can jump up in the air, and, and, and that will cause you to be free from the law of gravity. But the problem with that is your thrust, your ability to jump in the air is very, very limited, the Apostle Paul said this. He said, he said, I see a law that is working in my members, in my flesh, and it's contrary to the law of God. And he said, he said there's another law, the law of spirit, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, and that law makes me free from the law of sin and death. Sin and death, it works for everybody. The law of death works for everybody. But there's a higher law that breaks people free from the law of sin and death. That's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And, and in the natural, jumping up in the air can break you free from the law of gravity for a moment. But there's another law, if you will. There's another power, another force, and that's aerodynamics. That's the law of thrust and lift and an airplane, the wings. That, that, that will break you free from Earth's gravity, but only for a season, only for a short time. Eventually, that plane has to land and be refueled. If it's not refueled, that plane is going to do what? It's going to crash and burn. There's another kind of lift, and it's called escape velocity. Escape velocity is the force that is used by the space shuttle or a rocket ship to get free from Earth's gravitational pull and propel an object into outer space. And once it's into space, then it is totally free from the law of gravity. Well, the law of sin and death works similarly. Religion comes along and says, you know, if you just be good enough, if you, you know, spin a few beads, say a few prayers, or, or you know, attend church, read your Bible, then guess what? You're going to, then, then, you know, you're good. But how many of you that have come up maybe in that kind of a situation or that kind of system, that's a lot like jumping. Makes you feel good for a little while, but after a while you get tired of it and there's no life that's there. That's like gravity, man. Religion, religion is like jumping up in the air and you're, it, the law of sin and death pulls you right back down. And so we... Endeavor to try Christianity. We'll give Jesus a try. We get born again. That's a lot like an airplane. It lifts us up, but we need regular refueling. Sometimes we stop at a certain point. We just sit in the airplane on the runway, ready to go, but we're just sitting there. But the escape velocity happens when we understand the word of God. When we begin to understand the principles that God is there, it is what we would call revelation of the word of God. Something that we know that can't be known. And man, that, that, there, there's a light and a life that is there, and, and it changes us. And so I want to talk about some of these laws this, in this series. We're going to talk about two this morning because they work a lot together, and that's the law of faith and the law of wisdom. <clears throat> the law of faith and the law of wisdom, they, they work together, and, and uh, in their working together, and again, I, I want you to understand a couple of things. These aren't independent of each other. They work together, but as they work together, uh, it, it may sound sometimes like some are more important than others, and they're really not. Wisdom and, and faith go hand in hand. In Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 14, it says this, The law of the wise is a fountain of life. And notice with this fountain of life, that wisdom, the law of the wise, it's, it, it produces something. It has a force to it. The law of the wise is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. Wisdom has a job to do. Wisdom has the job to turn you away from the snares, the traps, the tricks that would produce death in your life. Now, we would think maybe physical death. We might think, you know, some kind of tragic thing. Death simply means the, the separation. 
I think that we could make an application that, that wisdom will turn you away from things that will separate you from income and finances. Anybody ever made a stupid decision that cost you? Don't raise your hand on this one. If you've ever made a stupid decision that cost you money, chances are there was wisdom that was av- available and had you followed that wisdom, wisdom, its response is it wants to turn you away. It wants to, now, now well, I, I can't take the time. It, it wants to help turn you away from traps and tricks. and those. So the law of wisdom is something that, that and, and really I see sort of help in decisions of life, help in directional things. Which way should I go? And so, again, he says, the law of the wise is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. In Proverbs 4, 6, it says, do not forsake her. He's talking about wisdom here. Don't forsake it. Don't let it go. If you do let wisdom go, here's what's going to happen. Do not forsake her, and she will preserve you. Love her, and she will keep you. Well, if you let wisdom go, you've lost some preservation. And and, and as he said here, uh, that, that she will keep you. The word keep means to guard or to protect. Wisdom is, the law of wisdom has been given to us to guard and to protect. It, it is something that, that, that helps us in decision making, our, our decision making process. The word, uh, the definition that, that I like for wisdom is this. Wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge correctly. There's a, there's a difference here. Wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge correctly. It is the ability to apply knowledge in the right way, at the right time, and in the right sequence so that it creates the right results. Wisdom, I think that sometimes we equate wisdom with amassing great knowledge. A person who has a lot of, you know, educational degrees or that kind of thing, we might say, well, they're really wise. No, knowledge and wisdom are not the same thing. If, if you want to be really good at Jeopardy, or if you want to be really good at those kinds of games, then you need a, not a, a lot of knowledge. But wisdom is the ability to apply the knowledge that you have in the correct way, in the right sequence, so that you get the right results. Many of you know people that have been, uh, we kind of like to teasingly say they've been educated beyond their intelligence. They're smart, but they're stupid. I know that many of you know people like that. And if you don't know any people like that, then... Maybe this is a sign unto you. (laughs) That was for second service people. Sorry. Hallelujah. Now, here's the thing. And and, and people sometimes, listen to what I'm about to tell you. Knowledge is a cheap counterfeit for wisdom. Now, now I, I don't want you to think that I'm against knowledge. We have small groups. We've got almost 25 small groups. We want you to get involved in that. And that is a part of a knowledge gathering process. We want you to have knowledge. But knowledge is a cheap substitute for wisdom. Listen to what it says in Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10. For the reverence and fear of God are basic to all wisdom. Knowing God results in every other kind of understanding. You understand why we want you as a church, we want you to know God? Part of it is because of this verse right here. Again, the reverence and fear of God are basic to all under to, to all wisdom. Reverence and fear of God. What does that mean? God, you're smarter than I am. You're greater than I am. You've got way more of everything that I do. It is a humbling of ourselves to what God has said. And that's the beginning of wisdom. When we're done fighting, I've heard so many people say, well, I know the Bible says, but this is what I think. I don't care what you think unless you think you're God. Well, no, I don't think I'm God. Then why do you care what you think? And why aren't you willing to accept what God has said? And I'll tell you what, this is a lot more subtle and, and invasive than probably most of us realize. Listen to this in, in, in Ephesians, or I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 9. And I got a lot of scripture to work through, so I'm, I'm hoping to build and build and build in your heart and life. Isaiah 55, 9 says, as the, heavens, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God is telling us what we already know. God is basically saying, I'm smarter than you are. I mean, you would concur and say, you know what, God, you're probably smarter than I am. Begrudgingly, we might admit, all right, God, you're smarter. You win. As the heavens are higher than the earth, he said, my ways are way higher than, than, than yours. 
So he gives us an illustration to help us understand what we think we already know. Verse 10 says, As the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. He's giving us something that we already know works, that rain and snow causes water to water the earth, nourish the earth, and, and, and that nourishment causes seed to grow. And eventually there's a harvest after that seed grows. We harvest the grain and we produce bread. And when we produce bread, that bread goes into our body and it gives gives us strength. It gives us ability. It gives us power. It gives us a, a, the, the ability to live life on planet earth. We all understand that, correct? So God says, I'm smarter than you are. And then he gives us an illustration. You understand the process of life on earth. You understand how the, the, my word, you, or I'm sorry, you understand how I have created laws that will help you to live on planet earth. And then verse 11 says, so shall my word be. In the same way that rain and snow waters the earth and seeds grow and harvest is, and then we have bread and then we eat and we get strength, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, and it will not return to me void. It will accomplish what I please, and it will prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And so here he's telling us, humanity, you don't think like I think. My ways and my thoughts are so much higher than yours. So let me give you an example. It rains and it snows and life is produced. And he said, that's how my word works. And it will not return back to me, but it will prosper in where it has been sent. So when the fear of the Lord and the reverence of the Lord, the reverence of God is the beginning of wisdom, he, he and his word are one. And so God's word is that first place. And so when, when wisdom starts with acknowledging that God's smarter than you are, and this wisdom that will preserve and guard and protect, it begins when you begin to acknowledge that God is, is the preeminent one. And so listen to what James says. James chapter 1 and verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom... I would venture to guess that if we're honest, that's all of us. <laughs> Amen? So if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? If he's the source of wisdom, if his ways and thoughts are higher than our ways and thoughts, wouldn't we maybe think that that's probably a good idea? We should probably talk to somebody smarter than us. Now, I don't mean to be disparaging of your friends and relatives, but wisdom doesn't start with grandma and grandpa. Now, you, could, you can get some insight. You can get some insight and you can get some help. Pretty sure that Facebook's not the best place to get wisdom. It's a thought. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. What will be given to the one who asks of God? Wisdom will. Now, if, we, if that was the only verse in the Bible, we'd have some real questions, but it's not. Verse 6 says this, but, everybody say but. God's the source of wisdom. If we need it, we need to ask him for it. He says he will give us, but let him ask in what? Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. God's the source of wisdom, and God says, I will give you wisdom, and that wisdom will preserve you, it will guard you, it will protect you. I will give it to you, but you need to ask me for it. And if you ask me for it, don't doubt and don't waver. Trust that I will get wisdom to you. I've tried to eradicate, and it, it's so hard. I've tried to eradicate from my vocabulary the law of words. I've, I've tried to eradicate this phrase, I just don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. I've felt that way at times. But I have to trust that the wisdom of God is liberally given to me. And because the wisdom of God's liberally given to me, then I need to make this declaration. I may not know what to do right now, but the wisdom of God is there. So, Father, I ask you. I'm not going to waver back and forth. That's what that word means, waver, waver and toss. You're, you're tossed by the wind and the storms and thoughts of life. So that's the reason that I say that wisdom and faith have to work hand in hand. These laws, they cooperate with one another. And let me give you a, a, a little bit of an, a, a taste or an example of this. And part of the reason I'm not spending a lot of time just going into all of these aspects of it is because I, I'm hoping to make you hungry. Part of your quest should be this year, I want to know more about wisdom. How can I, if you want to know more about wisdom, read the stinking book of Proverbs. Sorry, Lord, I don't mean stinking that, that I hate it. I don't mean it like that. 
read the book of Proverbs. It's full of practical application in life. What is our response relationally or financially or, or, or all, all the things of life? So Romans chapter 3 and verse 27 says this, where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Question mark. Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Ah, I wish I had more time. Escape velocity. The laws of life, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that makes us free from the law of sin and death. Paul here is telling us, he said, notice again, where's boasting? He's talking about, when he says, where's boasting? In other words, my pride of accomplishment or, you know, where, where we might say, you know what, man, we really pleased God. We really did good. boy. You know, the church gives you a gold star because you came to church and the church gives you a gold star because you read your Bible or you brought your lesson back or whatever it might be. What is our sense of boasting then? <laughs> it is excluded by what law? Of works? No. In other words, Paul said, you don't get an attaboy because of good works. See, that's, that's the lower law, if you will. That's the law of gravity. But he's wanting to tell us something. There's a, a higher law that supersedes that. And he says, no, but by the law of faith. And I know that people are sometimes confused about faith. What is faith? Some people look at faith as, you know, what faith are you, as in a denomination? Or what faith are you? Or, or, or you know, have you got a little faith? Those kinds of things. And we sometimes equate that with mustering up courage and, you know, buck up just a little bit, you know, that kind of a thing. Let me give you four quick, these are my definitions of what faith is that help me understand the application of faith. Before I do that, let me just say this. When the Bible talks about faith and when we talk about faith from a biblical perspective, there is the gift of faith. That's supernatural faith. There is the faithfulness, and it's almost cyclical because God is faithful to us, and the more that we understand that God is faithful to us, then we become faithful to him. And then there's general faith. There's a general working of faith, and, and there's a lot in the Bible about faith. There's, there's different qualities of faith. Jesus talked about those who had little faith, those who had great faith. He talked about, he said, I want to pray that your faith won't fail, and, and, and he also talked about people whose faith grew exceedingly. So that tells us something. That tells us that you and I have something to do about the faith that we have in our life or this law of faith. And so a couple of definitions that I like, I believe this, that faith is what brings the power of heaven to the problems of earth. Faith is what brings the power of heaven, God's power, to bear against the problems of life on planet earth. And because of that, faith is really important. And this helps me understand it or think about it. Faith is the currency of heaven. Or the means of exchange. Just like you use dollar bills or credit cards, we use a cash system or, or some, kinds of a, some kind of a financial system here on planet Earth. If you go to the store and you have no money, you're not going to be able to conduct business at that store. <clears throat> it's the same thing in the kingdom of God. Faith is the currency of heaven. If you don't have faith, if you have little faith, then you can't get something, if you will, that, that is expensive or that requires more faith. And so just like we try to get more cash on planet earth, we need to endeavor to get more faith in the kingdom of heaven. And how do we get more faith? The Bible says that, that, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The more that I hear of the word of God, the more faith is going to penetrate my life and change the dynamic of my life. Faith is acting like what God said is true, <clears throat> even if it seems impossible. We begin to see how faith differentiates and how faith causes us perhaps to think just a little bit differently. Faith is an attitude and an action. Faith is an attitude and an action. Faith is doing what God said. It's acting like what God said is true. Faith that sits around on its blessed assurance isn't faith. Faith is an action thing. Until we begin to act, we really don't have faith. I'll say it like that. Now, faith is an attitude and faith is an action. The attitude is one of humility. God, you're smarter than me. God, I don't understand it, but you have given me wisdom in your word. And because you've given me wisdom in your word, I believe that. 
And so I'm going to act like what you said. This is, for me, Revelation 101. God, you're smarter than I am, and because you're smarter than I am, you know me better than I know myself. And so, God, if you said this about me, then, then in spite of everything I know, I'm going to believe what you said about me rather than what I think about me. And here's why I can say that, and here's why I want you to say this. Listen to Romans 12:3. We're talking about the law of faith here. Paul is teaching, and he says, God has given me a special gift. This is a modern translation because I want you to see something. God has given me a special gift. That is why I have something to say to everyone among you. Do not think that you are better than you are. Now, there's a really practical application here, isn't there? Don't think you're hot stuff, right? Don't think that you're smarter than you are. Don't think that you're better than you are. Don't think you're better than other people. That would be a normal, practical application of that scripture, correct? I thought I was alone for just a moment here. I know you're just listening here. All right, so again, do not think that you are better than you are. You must see yourself as you really are. You may have heard this before. You will always act like the person that you believe yourself to be. You will not act independently or differently than how you see yourself. Paul goes on and he says, decide what you are by the amount of faith God has given you. Now, let me try to tie these two laws together and wrap this up in a nice pretty bowl for you to, to unwrap it and think about it later today. Again, he says, you must see yourself as you really are. Don't think that you're more than you are. Now, when you begin to understand what God has said about you, mirror, mirror, God's word is a mirror, mirror, mirror on the wall, tell me who I am. When, God, when you begin to understand that God says, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, old stuff passed away, all things have been made brand new. I've put within you the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. I've given you authority. Greater is he that is in you. I mean, when you begin to understand those things, when you begin to see those things, when you begin to hear those things, what does that do on the inside of you? That begins to change you. That begins to rearrange you. That begins to make things different on the inside of you. And sometimes it's almost, it's harder, if you will. It's harder, if you will, to almost not think as highly of ourselves as we ought to think. Certainly, we're not to be proudful, prideful and arrogant, but we need to think like children of God. And that's why he said in that last part of that verse, decide what you are by the amount of faith that God has given to you. You see, faith is an action and it's an attitude. I'm going to act like who God says that I am regardless of how I feel. I'm going to act like who God says that I am even though I don't think that I am. And see, remember that wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge correctly. How many of you know there's stuff about you that you don't want anybody else to know? Right? Because we live with ourselves. We look in the mirror. We know when we've failed. We know that when we've fallen short. We know where we've lied and cheated. And, you know, if integrity is, the, is really, one person said that integrity is who you are when nobody's looking. And if we don't like who we are when nobody's looking and we're accustomed to that being, to that person, that's the knowledge that we have. And so then when Pastor Brian is up here, he's screaming and yelling and flapping like a goose or whatever it is, and, and you're hearing those things like, yeah, I wish that were true. No, what we're doing is we're challenging your soul because you will increase to the ability of your soul. And so wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge correctly, but sometimes knowledge is our greatest problem. Sometimes what we know is our biggest problem. Listen to this in Proverbs 3, 5, and then I'm almost done. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not trust in your own understanding. Agree with him in all of your ways. Agree with him in your life ways, your habit ways, your hobby ways, your career ways. Agree with him with all, in all of your ways, and he will, here's the promise, he will make your paths straight. If I agree with God, rather than agreeing with my own understanding, there's a promise that God, even though I don't fully understand, that God will straighten out my path. And wisdom will begin to have its perfect work in my life. It will begin to guard me, and it will begin to preserve me, and it will begin to protect me. Because I'm not leaning to what I think about the problem. I'm not thinking, leaning, and, and, and where this is the greatest problem is where we have understanding. Well, I'm pretty good in that area. I don't really need a lot of help there. You're, you're, you're almost ready for a fall. 
If you think you know better than what God said, then, then that's a problem. Because faith is an attitude and it's an action. It is an action that is based on humility that says, God, you're smarter than I am. I need to just say about two more things. Number one, <clears throat> there's been a lot of misuse about faith. Been a lot written on the internet and different places about what some would consider error when it comes to faith. There are those who would treat faith like a magic wand, that I just got to rub the Bible a little bit. It's like a genie in a lamp, but I'm just going to get whatever I want. Well, faith is the key to answered prayer. But remember, again, that God doesn't want to increase you just so that you have more. He wants to increase you so that you can do more. He doesn't want to just increase you so that you're blessed. He wants you to be a blessing to people around you. Other people will treat faith like a, like a, a mathematical equa- equation. If you do these seven things in the right order, in the right way, with the right steps, then God's going to produce. But I have something higher for you, something better for you that I want you to consider this morning that I think is far more important. Faith is a relationship. Listen to Proverbs, or Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. It's impossible for you to please God without faith. Think about that. We've thought that attending church services, we've thought that that reading our Bible or or not cussing or not drinking or not smoking, and I'm not saying that those things are the things that you're supposed to do, but we thought that's what pleases God when all along the Bible says faith is what pleases God. And where do we get faith? We get faith from a knowledge of God and His Word. Faith is relational. It's not a formula. It's not a magic wand. It is relational. And faith says this. Faith is this. I go to God because I know that God loves me. And I know that God has his best in mind. And so I bow my knee humbly before the Lord. And I say, God, I just don't know what to do. But I know that you know. And I believe, Father, that you said in your word that you've given me the Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me. God begins to take the knowledge that we have. And he begins to help us to apply it correctly. And in a moment that we may not understand or in a moment that we may not know, suddenly it begins to drop into our heart. This is what you should do. Maybe we begin to see in our mind's eye the steps that we are to take. So faith and wisdom work hand in hand. Wisdom comes from God, but it's faith that extracts it from Him. Amen? But it starts with a relationship. It starts with a relationship. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, if you're here today, there's a beautiful invitation that God has given to you. And he said, if you want to know me, the key is faith. I've given grace so that you could be saved, but it's faith that helps you to access that grace. You have to trust that I'm able to do what you don't think I can. That I can do what you thought nobody else could do. And so if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and to be your Savior, you've never been born again. And you would like to take that step of faith this morning and begin that journey, that process. If that's you today, would you just lift up your hand? I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. Great way to start the new year. Anyone at all, just hold your hand up real high for just a second. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us in the application of wisdom and knowledge. and Help us to pursue and to understand and to know. I thank you that you strengthen this congregation. I thank you that in their daily reading plans, their daily reading, that you would visit them, that you would refresh them. I thank you that you would give them a love and a hunger and a desire for your word because that's the beginning of wisdom. And Father, we believe that in this life we will apply that wisdom and we will live it out in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. If you made a decision today to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, we would love to hear about it. Please email us or contact us through our website, greatjoy.org.